Those who do not move do not notice their chains. Rosa Luxemburg Hello and welcome to Struggle in the Suburbs, a leftist podcast looking at how socialism and socialist ideas are defined and experienced in our small cities, towns, and suburbs. I'm your host, Michael Spears. I'm a worker, activist, and socialist. I want to start by giving a shout out to all workers out there who are keeping our society functioning during the COVID-19 pandemic, especially those who aren't able to stay home because they don't have paid sick days or other adequate workplace protections. This is a unique situation for so many, and there have been some actions by some that could be described as disappointing. So I'd like to read some words that I saw on Facebook. Uh, It was on a meme the other day. They were written on a cartoon drawing of people fighting over toilet paper. So it said, quote, the images of working people fighting each other over toilet paper shouldn't fill you with feelings of contempt or superiority because you're not stooping to that. It should fill you with a profound sadness of what capitalism can do to people when alienation overwhelms us. A profound sadness, but also a rage at the system that produces this behavior and a desire to smash it. Don't laugh at those people. Don't call them stupid. Think about what you're doing to build a system in which scarcity is no longer an issue, unquote. So that's something to think about as we try to get through uh, this pandemic together. So let's get started with this episode. Joining me this week are a couple of amazing comrades, smart and passionate about the issues and ideas that are going to make people's lives better. Sheetal Raywall and Holly McDaniel, welcome to Struggle in the Suburbs. Hello. Great to have you guys. Um, I think we'll start a bit. um, I know in the last episode, I kind of went over kind of my own story and how I came to uh, thinking about ideas the way I do. So I just wanted to see uh, maybe you can tell listeners a bit about yourself and what brought you to where you are politically. So we'll start with Sheetal. I started getting politically involved in during my education, so high school and undergrad especially. Um, I came of age, sort of entered undergrad post 9-11, pre-Iraq war. And I think that the anti-war protests around there had made a big impression on me. Um, I also got involved in feminist politics at the time, so campus stuff, Take Back the Night, uh, that kind of thing, which kind of pushed me into activist work. Um, at the same time, I was taking a liberal arts uh, degree, so I was reading a lot of stuff that was complementing um, the type of politics I was interested in. Um, I got involved with a feminist group uh in undergrad and it carried for about eight years where we were trying to get a gender studies course into the Ontario high school curriculum. And so that kind of, that was my formative activism. And then um, after a while, I kind of, I kind of backed off from it for a while. I I got busy with school and stuff. And then, um, you know, the occasional thing here and, and then and this can get edited, I just remembered. So I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm drawing a blank now. But I think, yeah, so, you know, I was always involved in things. And then, yeah, settled down for a bit, probably was a bit burnt out from the feminist stuff. And then 
we saw Donald Trump get elected in the United States. And I moved out of Toronto, um, the big city, for a small village uh, about an hour outside of it. Um, the exurbs, if you will. <laughs> and moving there, it was a bit of a conservative area. And I think, Mike, you've talked about this in your first episode. But um, yeah, I just, it kind of kick-started me back into getting actively involved again um seeing the way trump was moving the world in a particular direction and then being in a very conservative um area or an area that and we'll probably get into this later but an area that people assume to be conservative um and yeah i just felt like getting involved more and then we saw doug ford get elected in ontario and it was like okay I need to start doing things. And at the same time, you know, impending climate doom mm-hmm. was also on my mind. So uh, that's probably a long way to put it. But uh, yeah, I think that's kind of my my trajectory. Yeah. So I'd say like when I was talking last week, um, last episode about kind of like I was trying to kind of make some change from the inside. Uh, I get that's I get that's one way people you know come to where they are and I think you're talking about uh, you know another way that I also share where kind of like negative experiences that we're seeing um, you know a lot of places say in the, in the cities that have more uh, quote-unquote progressive type people um, people may come to you know embracing kind of leftist ideas through more of a positive way but you know a lot of times it, take, it takes yeah. a bit of negativity to bring uh, to bring this out in um, you know kind of like places where you know small cities and towns things like that so i'm sure you know from talking to holly i'm sure she has similar stories so holly uh you know what what what's your thinking in terms of you know where you're at right now and why you're why you're there it's a pretty interesting question and i often think about it a lot myself because i come from a pretty small town um that's not known for being yeah, very progressive. <laughs> uh, but one of the most formative things that I can remember was uh, my mom being on the picket line. And I was on the picket line with her for a really long time. Um, and she was head of the union at the time, which was kind of out of bounds for her. She was a cashier and like, you know, stay at home mom a lot of the other time. Um, so getting to watch her going away to conferences and bringing these materials home. Yeah, I think it had an impression on me, probably one I didn't understand at the time, but the striking question tore our town apart. Like there were scabs crossing lines and, you know, in a town of 4,000, you're going to see that person at the grocery store. So that's probably where a lot of this stuff began. And then going forward, yeah, living in Toronto and being low income, <laughs> it's, I think I started out as a liberal and then you hear you know, this is not a slag on liberals, but, you know, housing was never, was never a topic on my liberal friends who all rate a lot of really great money and didn't have to worry about paying rent. And meanwhile, my family kind of kept getting shuttled around. Um, we've always been sort of gig economy workers until very recently. So just, I guess, through your own lived reality, and then you pair that together. I still remember reading Marx and understanding it for the first time at Trent University and going like, holy shit, my labor, these suckers, these capitalist suckers, anyway, (laughs) and starting to see my world through that lens. So university was obviously transformative. And then you meet certain people 
and they help you grow. So moving to Barry and connecting with you guys, obviously that bubble has just kept expanding for me and those ideas just keep getting a bit more nuanced. And then my philosopher husband who loves taking any idea I hold dear and like stripping it into tiny pieces and making me angry about it. <laughs> that definitely helps as well. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. The, the union, uh, your, your background with unions kind of like something that I, I never had. Um, you know, my, yeah. my dad, my dad was a union worker just from the job he had. He was with the uh, CAW, but he had nothing to do with, uh, with the auto sector. Um, and the only real instance I had is when I was in high school, there was a, um, uh, small like five hundred dollars scholarship that the CAW had for, uh, for teens going to to university or college, okay. uh, and my dad said, "Why don't you write about, you know, why you think unions are good?" So I did, and I ended up winning, uh, oh. which was good. But that's like that's like the only the only my only <laughs> only real uh, link to unions growing up. So that's kind of interesting. And, but and I'll share that well, I... my my parents were we're liberals as well so we have uh, we have that in, in common too so that's fine um, yeah well I was gonna I'll throw in that like I I think I'm a bit younger than both of you and I um I think I was in high school when my Karis was was around and teachers were um were were active like we're struggling against that government and its austerity agenda and I I remember sort of the I mean also you know I've Again, I like watched a lot of TV and movies growing up. So like Norma Ray was very inspirational <laughs> and and things like Silkwood. But so I, I was able to really um, identify with my teachers in that time period. And so I th- like, you know, we would do we would organize walkouts and support. And so there. Yeah. Like, it's interesting how how that also helped shape where I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we all find ourselves um, we all find ourselves kind of you know living in 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 Barrie. Uh, well, Polly and I live in Barrie. She though you live in a small village Cookstown. outside of Barrie. Yes, <laughs> great a great Cookstown, a beautiful place for tourists to come. Yeah, it's a great, a great <laughs> place, great place. So obviously, we live in a very uh, you know quote unquote conservative area. The conservatives, small big C conservatives, tend to win uh when our uh the ridings uh when it comes to provincial and federal politics uh that's currently the case uh here now we're we're blue and we're surrounded by blue so um what do you guys see as being you know what's the obstacles that we have to overcome then you know if we want to kind of push um uh, push ideas that we see as being as being more productive um and ones that we feel uh, could benefit people regardless of what their political affiliation or belief is. Uh, what do you What do you guys think we need to do? How do we overcome the fact that we have uh, conservative politicians and we have a lot of people voting for them every time? I would Sheila, love. Let's... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I just would love people to understand that a lot of the socialist policies that you know get written off, like let's say the NDP's pharmacare plan that's going through right about now. Um, as being too aspirational. I, I know that we don't want to talk the economic sensibilities behind some of this stuff, but right now Doug Ford's made all these cuts to public health and we're running low on testing abilities during a COVID pandemic. So I would love for the economics of, you know, let's say you feed children, you have, you have nutritional programs in schools, like 
how beyond just the basic human decency of all that, there is an economic argument that these kids end up not needing as much interventions, let's say health-wise, um, or, you know, when housing is a right, how that can actually help families invest in other things that are good for, like, I don't always want to make the economic argument, but I think conservatives have pinned that area down and they're really good at making what I think are our sensible approaches to the world seem ludicrous when in fact they're not, you know, like public health care. You look around the world right now and I think there's a huge argument for why public health care is actually good on any number of levels, including fiscally. Anyway, that's me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think in general, I think we've probably at least so now having moved here, I've been involved in a couple campaigns, um, election campaigns. So the Doug Ford thing, I came in toward the end when I was like, oh, no, this is actually going to happen. And so I um, got involved with the local NDP and then um, just the federal election we had last year. And I think I think a big obstacle is that people really do um, like I think the naming of these areas or the sort of understanding of these areas as very conservative. Therefore, let's not put too many resources there or, you know, there's no organization happening on the ground or, you know, the impression of that is like an obstacle in the sense that people just kind of give up on talking to people around here. And when you do start to talk to people around here, including people who identify as conservative or, you know, like multi-generation conservative, um, you start to realize like when you talk about values and stuff that a lot of them, a lot of, a lot of the shared values are these like the, you know, socialist roots of the NDP party, like the rural looking out for each other kind of thing. Um, and that it's just about having those conversations to, to open it up. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that the NDP is a socialist party by any, um, by any means, but I just think that like, you know, I, so again, I was in Toronto living in the West end, having this like life where I could get involved in politics or not. And like, People generally in my area had similar ideas as me and you would see orange signs up usually or, you know, it, during the election and going to events, you'd be like, oh, are you going to go to the Naomi Klein event, I guess, or whatever. And then you come and then and then I moved and it was like, OK, I was being pretty lazy about my politics when I was in Toronto because of that. And so now it's been really interesting to kind of force myself to have conversations with people who I you know, politically disagree with or who, and I wouldn't have encountered in my time in the city. Um, and, you know, like a, a good friend of mine here, she identifies as conservative and we have conversations about um, politics and we usually are on the same page. It's just that we have like, she's, she's, you know, I don't know. Edit that part. Yeah. Out. <laughs> no, I, 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 I had the same, uh, uh, you know, similar experience when I was campaigning uh, here last year federally, when I was knocking on doors for the for the local candidate uh, that I was working with, uh, you you knock on the doors, and you know everyone, you know most people had the kind of same impression that the, you know the system was rigged uh, yeah. against working people, that it was for that it was rich people that were benefiting, and people hated they hated <laughs> politicians, 
Um, so yeah. regardless of whether you're on the left or the right, that was a sh- kind of a sh- an opportunity there where we could find kind of uh, commonalities. And, and an idea about taxing the rich more and using that revenue to fund social programs, you know, reached mm-hmm. right across the line so that people that, uh, you know, that identified as conservatives and had always voted conservatives could, could at least, uh, you know, embrace that and think, yeah, this is something that we could kind of get behind. So uh, I, I know yeah. exactly what you're saying, Sheetal, in terms of, you know, finding a, that kind of commonality and that, um, and, and kind of goes back to what Holly was saying. If you could just kind of take that and say, uh, you know, yes, that's, that's the problem, but the answer is not what you think it might be. It, the answer is actually this. And um, there's, there's, you know, you, right. you go back to the whole, you know, the, the whole thing with Donald Trump down in the States. And, mm-hmm. and when, when people talk about electability of someone like Bernie Sanders, you know, people always say that he's not electable because he's too far to the left. But, um, you know, he appeals to a, this, you know, a similar kind of crowd that Donald Trump appealed to. This is that Trump, mm-hmm. Trump, you know, he provides the wrong answers to this, to the same problems that Bernie's speaking mm-hmm. to. Um, right. So it's just a matter of telling people that, that we recognize, you know, what the problem is. And, you know, here's a, here's yeah. a better answer. So, um yeah, I mean, I like I got involved, like th- I had this whole social experiment I did leading up to that federal election where I joined the local political Facebook groups because that's where people are. They're on Facebook, like, you know, the the voting, the voting population, the boomers of, of um, you know, this municipality and this riding and like, you know, try to engage in conversations with people and and. It was really interesting because it was the economic populism argument that um, that I think, you know, we would agree on. Like, I like, you know, it, there would be a, a guy posting and he'd be posting a lot of, you know, like rebel news or whatever stuff. But then you would start having conversations and you would realize, oh, it's just that this guy is, you know, anti-establishment. He's fed up with seeing like some people do really, really, really well, and he's been working really hard. And now he's being told by these guys on the right that it's immigrants to blame for the fact that he's feeling left behind or, you know, that his back's against the wall. But it's not that. It's just that, like, our system is rigged. And and when and so then things like the te- the wealth tax that you mentioned, Mike, like, really spoke to him. And I don't know. I just think that I think that. Um, I think so yeah I think a challenge is is that very thing it's like if you're not talking to people if you're just assuming that their politics are a certain way or that they're not going to hear you then you're not really doing the work and um, that you what was that I sorry I thought you were pausing I'm really bad at this Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. Well, because I was just broken I was... that experience in his work. So my husband works um, with a lot of labor type people. Um, and in terms of, I mean, like laborers, like painters and contractors. And so he had similar conversations during the election. And it was it was the same kind of thing that when you got to the base of, of what was bothering people, it was it was this idea that the system is rigged. But when he would explain like, you know, it's the middle class and lower class people paying the most tax burden. Why don't we shift the tax burden, you know, redistribute all of this wealth that we have in our country. He could often get these people to say, oh my gosh, yes, exactly that. And like, these are two, like two people from the more, like from very polar 
points of view, right? Um, so my, my thinking sometimes is it's the way that these issues are being explained to people. You know, like if you have the rebel right. media really simple, quick, like I don't find a lot of really, a lot of the ideas that I speak with about like my friends and in these circles, I don't know if we're doing a good enough job making them accessible sometimes. I don't know how to make them more mm-hmm. accessible, but I do know that the rebel or the sun, they're willing to give that person who's working really hard for very little pay and no benefits, a really quick soundbite to say, yeah, the immigrant is the person that I'm going to blame today or, you know, native people. Yeah. They're the ones stopping the railways. So I'm, right. I'm going to hate on them that they're the basis of all of my troubles when we know <laughs> that couldn't be farther from the truth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing I was surprised by like in the area was um, kind of the, the way in which like there is pro- there was and there is more I think um to use a word that I know you don't love Mike but progressive um stuff that was that's happening in the region and that had been happening in the region um there you know there is a present there is a union presence there is an environmental movement that's pretty strong in Simcoe County um and you know these like and like fight for 15 and fairness and and even just like community community groups like you know out of churches or whatever taking care of each other there's there's like stuff to tap into and the what I found interesting was how invisible that seems in like um well I guess in the minds of of people like myself who moved here but also just um kind of in the mainstream consciousness of the region I don't know maybe th- maybe that's my impression but I was, just, I was very surprised at how I was able to get t- into this you know really interesting community of people working on things whether it's supervised consumption sites or whatever I think, uh, you know, kind of building on what you're just talking about, Sheenal, about, uh, uh, you know, about movements like 15 and Fairness uh, and things like that. Um, you know, I spoke last episode about, uh, you know, kind of my motivations behind starting up the Leap Berry uh, to kind of to kind of push the conversation uh, a little bit here. So what, what, what do you guys think we need to do uh, to, you know, to kind of to build these movements even more and to kind of go from the movements to something where we could be uh, successful politically. So I don't know, Holly, uh, I don't know if you want to go first. I'm a little bit stuck on this topic right now because <laughs> I've been trying to really think about my place in movements and I'm a bit more of a joiner than a leader as you guys have experienced. Um, and so the, a lot of me wants, thinks this whole face-to-face. So when I, um, for anyone that doesn't know, I met Michael and Sheetal by coming out to various events like progressive events in the city and it completely transformed not only my opinion of Barry but about the people living in Barry I was kind of um I was a bit of a Toronto moving to Barry snob I didn't think there was a heck of a lot going on in the small little city and then it was actually going to events and meeting people face to face that I was like oh 
there's so many amazing people here doing like incredible work, like whether it be like Sheetal mentioned, the safe injection site, Leap Berry, that kind of thing. But it's hard. It's really hard to get people out and get people together. I'm part of the problem. Both my partner and I work really long hours and, you know, getting myself off the couch and out from in front of Netflix and into something in person with people. But that's where I find a lot of the barriers come down and where I start sort of creating ideas of what people are. And then I get to actually meet them, talk to them and go, yeah, this is worth fighting for. This is worth changing. Mm-hmm. That's my two cents. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think like that actually just made me think of a huge barrier, I think, to organizing around here that I, again, my eyes were open to after I uh, left the big city and it was public transportation because like that is something that in, you know, with the elections and then, um, you know, anti-Bill 66 organizing when the Ford government wanted to take away water protection amongst, um, you know, a hundred other environmental protections. I like that was eye opening the way in which it was it's really hard to find spaces to organize in to um, try and get people there, especially because so many people in the area um, commute into Toronto for work. And so by the time they get back, they're not they're not really into coming out to to things. And, you know, you have a lot of people who can't come out to things because they can't get there. Um, And so that like in terms of I mean, I mean, this is going now back to one of your earlier questions, Mike, but like, I think that is something to think about when you're trying to struggle in the suburbs or the exurbs is like, yeah, how do you get people to that face and face, face to face? Because I really do agree with Holly. I think it's like been meeting people through like going offline um, and meeting in person that has really started to cement those, those bonds. And like, you know, some of the protests that groups like Leap Berry have organized in recent times, I think also assist with that, that getting people, um, you know, names you start seeing on like the local newspaper comments section on Facebook or Twitter and stuff start to come out to those events and you start to see actual relationships or not actual, but like real life IRL relationships um, start to form. And then, and then you see that, that build into to movement possibilities like I think that that stuff is important so yeah it's the shape of the suburbs uh, themselves though because sometimes I think about because I live in a very suburb type area of the city and it's like everybody has their huge house their big backyard all of their toys in the garage like sometimes I feel like they moved here for that isolation (laughs) and so it's hard to break that isolation (laughs) yeah 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 I so I like I in so I'm in Cookstown, which is a village of 1,400 people. It's really interesting because you have this old town part, and then you have this new town part, which is where subdivisions have started being built with bigger houses, and you know they're more spread out. And those there's like a real um, divide, I think, in terms of um, like the integration of of like. In the, at least in the mines or culturally in the town, people kind of, there's the old town people and I live in the old town section. So I think I get lumped in there, but then there's like the, oh, the subdivision people or whatever. And it's so, so that stuff is really interesting. Um, not sure if that's relevant to this, but one thing I was going to say is, um, uh, right. So I organized this like, 
thing for the village um, that was going to be this like women's town hall. This was um, uh, about a year and a half ago. And so what I did was I invited all the women and um, and it, it, trans folks and non-binary people who wanted to come to this uh, dance party slash town hall discussion at my house. Um because I, it was again after Ford had won, and I was just like, okay, I want to talk to people. I want to see like what is on the minds of people um, on the ground here. And so it was great. We had a group of like 14 women come. We talked about, we had three questions, which were like, what, um, what issues are on your mind? What, okay, I don't remember what the questions were, but it was a discussion about like, what political issues were affecting people's lives, but also what um, what things scared them about where society is and what gives them hope. And it was really interesting because it turns out that a lot of people are worried about climate change and a lot of people are worried about like how they're going to afford things and and like personal relationship problems and all of that stuff. Again, these, these were people from... Um, really different backgrounds, both like socioeconomic, politically, religious backgrounds. And it was really um, interesting. And then we had a dance party together and it was a really good dance party. And people still talk to me about how good of a dance party it was. And I think that it's like, there are those opportunities to, to do these like really micro things that I think can help start to shift the, uh, political culture of a place. Yeah, no, I, I think you're you're bang on there. People want to talk about issues that are important to them and, and, and they want to have fun as well. So uh, I, I also Thank think you. that, you know, um, you know, building movements, the important thing is to keep things nonpartisan. Uh, mm-hmm. I I've, I found yeah. that here in, 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 you know, in Barrie, in the Barrie area, um, uh, any type of movement at all uh, is often either linked to a, a certain political party or uh, is perceived to be linked to a, a, a certain political party. And, you know, I've seen it with, there's been events where people are like, oh, I don't want to go that way. That's a Green Party event. Um, I know where we have, there's been other events. Oh, I don't want to go there. That's an NDP event. Mm-hmm. Even though there, it's not actually affiliated uh, officially with anyone, but people see the people that are organizing mm-hmm. it automatically think that that's, uh, that's, who, that's, you know, that's who's organizing it. They don't want to be a part of it. Uh, which is really yep. un- which is which mm-hmm. is unfortunate and, and it just it just holds us back so um but but i'm seeing that breaking a little bit uh i know like like mm-hmm. i'm better with 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 a lot of members of the green party now than i was even like a year ago where i was i was trying to put up kind of this wall because i thought that they're kind of like my political opponents and i didn't want to give them any credit for something um you know i i right. to that now you know but i've i've met them and then you know i've learned from them and i've seen where they're coming from um and uh you know like between yeah. elections like build movements between elections let's leave party politics to when we have to vote no. between the you know between those times i think it's important to uh to you know build nonpartisan alliances mm-hmm. yeah and, and people do commit to having it. fun yeah i find so many of our, our events come at like about really dire situations or you know they come out of crises but it would be so amazing if we did a little bit more relation build relationship building 
outside of those moments. Mm -hmm. Like I've been pushing for karaoke nights or like, I want a legion for socialists (laughs) where we just like go out and we drink cheap beer and we just talk shit with each other, you know, and we stay in touch outside of the latest, latest crisis. Yeah. 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 And I think that's something that like, again, there is a desire. We are social beings. We do want to feel, and especially in scary times, like look at how just a few days now of social distancing or um, the idea of, of, of having to isolate oneself or distance yourself from people. Like the way, I don't know if you, I'm seeing with my friend group that it's really psychologically playing on some of, some of them. And so it, it's just a reminder that like people, people seek connection. They we're facing scary issues and, you know, these are very turbulent political times. And so I think like, it's nice to laugh (laughs) with other people who, who are kind of on the same page as you. And again, you might not use the same political labels, but, um, but yeah. So, uh, you know, kind of keeping that in mind, uh, how optimistic are you guys that, uh, you know, in, in a place where we live, um, like where, you know, leftist ideas and ideas, you know, that are designed to build a better world for everybody. Like, how optimistic are you that they can kind of take root uh, where we are and actually kind of like blossom into something that can kind of grow and, you know, one day kind of be the dominant kind of philosophy in the area? I'm hoping situations that are happening around us right now, whether they be pandemics or climate change, like I'm a bit of a cynic. So I think sometimes people really need to face hard realities before they see certain truths. (laughs) So right now, um, you know, the idea of being neighborly, of not ripping all the products off the shelf. So maybe the person living paycheck to paycheck, who's just going to get to go shopping with their family today has something out there um Mm -hmm. just these i'm hoping that these are reminders to us of like you know about why again i'm going to say it again why public health care is such it's not it's not a luxury it should be a basic human right Um, maybe when we compare not to vilify but like people in the states like will our outcomes be different because well we have doug ford and again we have a shortage of testing kits but you know will that will will that will the shortage of testing kits in ontario due to cuts by doug ford again i'm coming at this from a very negative angle but will that be the reality check that says oh maybe when we invest a little bit in each other that goes a hell of a long way is that the reminder that we need Mm. right now i don't know i'm hoping do i have hope (laughs) Not usually, but where does, where does my anger, I have a ton of anger all the time, but where does that anger come from? It comes from hope. It comes from me being pissed off that people are stomping all over my hope. So the hope is there. And I've met so many really cool and amazing people in my own community. um, And I'm seeing things come to really untenable, you know, I'm 40 and this financial crisis just put us off buying the house that we've been dreaming about. And we've just paid off our debts for the first time in our life. Like if any more economic hardship fall on people and sorry, a caveat to that is my husband and I make fine money. So the fact that we're in this situation, even at this age is ridiculous. Um, I just don't understand how we can't like make ground on some of these issues. Everything is there for us right now to, I hope bring people together, form relationships and drive home why, 
some of our ideas or socialist ideas are so important and necessary. Yeah, I'm, and you know, I think like going off of what Holly's saying, it's, it's, you know, I mean, we, we learned from our fearless, well, I was just our fearless leader, Naomi Klein, but, um, you know, like the shock doctrine, right? It, she looked at how crisis can be exploited um, by corporate interests to privatize and move, you know, public infrastructure and wealth into um, the pockets of, of big corporations. And, and just, but the other part of that is crisis can also reveal these things. And as we're, you know, seeing, um, like, so Bernie Sanders right now, the Bernie Sanders movement, the not me as movement at the time of recording this, like it has provided me with so much hope just mm-hmm. to see the way in which that has really, um, grown in the past few years. Like we're, we are, he has set, he and his movement have set the agenda on what we're talking about, not just in the United States, but here, you know, like AOC talking about a wealth, wealth tax. That's what got us talking about a wealth tax here. Um, at least I think like, t- uh, to a certain degree, but the narrative that they're putting out there now in the, uh, in the midst of this crisis is that we're all, we're in this together and that, and, you know, they've been saying like, are you willing to fight for someone you don't know? And when my family, when I take care of your family, um, you know, you're, you're taking care of my family. And so this idea of that neighborly thing that Holly's talking about, I think there is a lot of hope in that. And I, I know that in Cookstown, for example, I've really seen that where neighbors, um, step up regardless of again background politics whatever neighbors kind of put being neighbors first and really look out for each other and it was something that really took me by surprise um you know because i like i knew about small towns from like bonnie Raitt songs or whatever something to talk about uh is the song i'm thinking of but like when i actually moved to a small town is when i was like oh wow there is like a community spirit that um, is incredibly powerful when it comes to looking out for each other. And I think it's just about connecting that, that vibe to like the bigger thing. So I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm also just kind of an eternal optimist. So well, I think, I, yeah, I think things happen. Sorry, go ahead, Holly. You were going to say something? No, I'm quiet for once. Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> uh, uh, I think that's a good place to wrap things up a good spot so i want to say thanks to shido and holly uh for joining me today and for uh uh, taking time out of their social distancing to to join us (laughs) we are recording this remotely which you know i appreciate as i touch my face all over so you're really lucky to not be in my presence (laughs) i cannot Uh, stop chewing my nails all right thanks a lot over the next few days and weeks i want people to keep an eye on a certain number of things. I want you to keep an eye on the behavior of corporations and the rich and how our neoliberal governments are bending over backwards to bail them out. I also want people to keep an eye on what our fellow workers and their families have to deal with uh, and how governments are failing to provide them with the support that they need. Remember, don't betray your class. Push for change and for all workers to get the protections and benefits they deserve. I'd like to end now with some words of wisdom from Bernie Sanders. If our neighbor or, or co-worker gets sick, we have the potential to get sick. 
If our neighbors lose their jobs, then our local economies suffer and we may lose our jobs. It is at this moment that we must remember that we are all in this together. Thank you for listening to Struggle in the Suburbs. Next week, we will have a look at the response to the coronavirus by both governments and the public, and how socialist ideas always seem to look good during a crisis. But why not all the time? We will try to answer that next week. Take care out there, everyone. Support workers, stay safe, share your love, and keep on fighting for a better world.